Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning, Covenant. Wow. God's Spirit has already been with us this morning, hasn't He? Such a joy to be with you this morning, and especially on a day when we have a very unique and special and blessed opportunity, uh, something we don't get to do every week, and that's putting it mildly. Uh, the Ratchford family, many of you know, longtime members of this congregation, uh, Brother Jason, one of our faithful deacons, Charity, his wife. I have no idea what I would do without Charity. I wouldn't be doing my job, I can tell you that, keeping us all straight. And their daughter, Jalen, just this past summer, was crowned Miss West Virginia. And so, come on up. How's it going? Good. Yeah, awesome. Well, congratulations. And this means that the reason you're up here is we want to pray for you. So you are headed to Connecticut yes. to participate in the 100th Miss America pageant. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be... So I will leave this Wednesday, the 8th, and then we'll have a few days of rehearsals. And then I will compete in private interview on the 11th, and then talent the 12th, and then social impact pitch and red carpet the 13th. And then final night of competition is on December 16th at 8 p.m. on Peacock. So if you're at home, you can watch it on Peacock on the 16th. Excellent. So the 16th, that's when everybody that's needs to the mark their night. calendars. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy's already told me, oh, yeah, we're watching. So <laughs> I know what I'm doing on the 16th. Now, what I, what I want to ask, are, are some of our deacons are going to come up and pray with you, uh, led by Jenny Kellogg. And while they're on their way uh, to the stage, let, let me ask you this, because your platform, is just really a, just a blessing to me as the father of a daughter. It's about empowering young women. Can you talk for just a few moments yeah. about that? So every candidate in the Miss America organization has a social impact initiative, and that's the cause that we are really passionate about and work to change in our community. So mine is investing in our future, the impact of youth empowerment, and it deals with directly volunteering and mentoring children because I think children are the future of Appalachia, and they already have the power, and it's just about me creating the space to let them use that power. That's awesome. So thank, thanks so much for everything you're doing. We love you. Whatever happens. All right. Now, I, now, if you if you win this thing, your mom becomes your personal assistant. So I don't know whether to be proud of you or mad at you. <laughs> yeah. This is um, going to be awesome. We listen. Whatever happened, we you are loved. You're going to come home no matter what. And I want you to know how incredibly proud this church family is of you. And we've got your back as you head to Connecticut. All right. God bless you, kiddo. Jenny, would you mind? just thank you for this platform that you've given Jalen to shine your light into a dark and hurting world. May your beauty shine through her natural beauty. May your grace and wisdom flow through her as she communicates with the judges and with the other young women in all she does and wherever you send her. We pray for open doors 
that she might cause a hurting world to look to you to find healing and deliverance and salvation. Thank you for your abundant provision for her. Please grant her favor with God and man. And we just bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bless this child of God. May you, Father, be glorified in her. church are you here on campus are you watching from home is this your first time with us we reach all of you in different ways and that can make things seem complicated but there is one place where everything comes together join us at connect2covenant.com go ahead you can do it right now when you get there introduce yourself even if you've been with us for years connect with us there and let us know all that God has been doing in your life and how we can pray for you. Let us know if you'd like to serve, join a group, or just get to know our church family better. So from wherever you have joined us today, thanks so much for coming, and we look forward to getting to know you. Well, it is a joy on this first weekend in December to, for us to have hosted Ed and Kathy Litton. Ed, has, uh, Ed and Kathy both have been friends of Amy and mine for, for over 10 years. Ed is pastor of Redemption Church, where he became pastor the same year I got married, 1994. He has served faithfully that congregation for 27 years. Just this past June, he was also elected the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, the nation's largest Protestant denomination, uh, a network of churches that we belong to. Uh, Covenant is a member of a family of 50,000 other congregations across North America. We partner together for missions and evangelism as well as theological education. His wife Kathy is a nationally known speaker and leader, leads the Church Planner Spouse Network for the North American Mission Board. Uh, both of those are just well-known, well-deserved titles and positions of influence for people that we know uh, we'll use them well. But none of that is the reason we've invited them here this weekend. Uh, that conversation began long before Ed's rise uh, to his current position. L let me tell you why I invited him, and I told our staff and, and elders and deacons at our Christmas event last night why this is. None of us in ministry are an island to ourselves. We're all drawing from somebody. And in fact, the older I get as a pastor, the, the more I realize every time I get up to speak, every time my hands extend in ministry, what has passed through my brain and my soul and come out of my mouth or out of those hands has been influenced deeply, more deeply than I realize often by, by other people. And you've heard me talk about those influences from blue collar dudes like Mark Lee Edwards and Bill Merritt, who are now with the Lord Jesus, who taught me Sunday school and invested in a young knothead's life when he was a a teenager, to theologians in seminaries, to fellow pastors. Kathy's late husband, Rick Ferguson, would certainly be one of those as well, a powerful proclaimer of God's Word uh, who, who has influenced me. Every time I speak, I, books I've read, those sorts of things, and, and sometimes I share those identities with you 
so that you'll know who through me is indirectly influencing you. God willing for the better. And, and if, it, if it doesn't happen for the better, I'll go ahead and admit the problem's a filter. All right? But a lot of folks like that have influenced me. Every once in a while, I get the opportunity to introduce you to one of those people personally. Uh, and this weekend, we've had the opportunity to introduce you to two of those folks. Like I said, for more than 10 years, they've been a, a great source for Amy and I of encouragement and wisdom. They've been examples in public and in private of grace and leadership and ministry. And so I'm excited that they said yes way back in January before we knew what was going to happen to Ed's schedule, going from just insanely busy to just flat out insane in June. And yet they they have kept this commitment, time away from their church family, time away from the larger convention in order to come and, and invest in us. Last night, they invested in our staff and our leadership. Tonight, ladies, you do not want to miss, and there st certainly is still time for you to sign up for the women's event at 5 o'clock. Kathy will be speaking at that. Um, it's just going to be a great, great night. But this morning, we get to hear from Ed as I first became aware of him. A, a faithful proclaimer of God's word. And here at Covenant, we know, do we not, there is nothing more powerful than the word of God. Amen. Would you help me welcome Dr. Ed Lynn? Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Well, good morning, Covenant. How are you today? Do you have your Bibles? Would you open them, power them up, whatever you do, uh, to get the word of God and turn to the book of Ruth? The Old Testament book of Ruth. I want to say on behalf of my wife, Kathy, right over here, uh, that uh, we love your pastor and Amy. We thank God for them. We thank God for their influence in our lives. We thank God for their influence across our nation. You probably are not aware that many people listen to your pastor's voice. They read his tweets. They sometimes get mad because he is a truth teller. And that's what we need, that's what you appreciate, and you're touching other people's lives. And the world we live in, we have unique opportunities to do that. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be here today. Our church sends greetings, Redemption Church in Mobile, Alabama. I am not from Alabama. I am a missionary to rednecks. <laughs> that is my calling, amen. I know you have a few in West Virginia. My family's originally from southwest Virginia, so when you mentioned the Appalachia Mountains a moment ago, that is exactly in my DNA and in my blood. People ask me in other places out west, up north, they'll say, what's it like being in the deep, deep south? <laughs> I go, well, it's no different than any place you live. You have a zoo, we have a zoo in Mobile. The difference is that little tag that tells you the name of the animal. In Mobile, there's a tear-off recipe card right next to it. So a little bit of difference. But you know, it is a joy to be a part of this Advent season. I was so moved by the worship this morning. The seriousness in which you pray as a church is impressive. And I'm just encouraging you, keep doing this. Keep drawing people into this. Because this is what the soul longs for. This morning, God has given me a word for you. I mean that. Several weeks ago, praying about this event, God said, I want you to say something. And God took me down a path and have written a sermon that I've never preached before. The title of the message is Back to Bethlehem. Do you know what a prequel is? 
Sure you do. A prequel in literature or in filmmaking is a device to tell a story that happened before the story that you're telling. In 1977, George Lucas famously launched the Star Wars trilogy. But in 1999, he began a second trilogy that was a prequel. It was the history behind Luke Skywalker and Star Wars. It was the Phantom Menace, then the Attack of the Clones in 2002, then the Revenge of the Sith in 2005. Lucas popularized this concept in the American culture of a prequel. Well, the Bible has a prequel. At, at this Advent season, we worship the Lord and celebrate His birth into this world in a town called Bethlehem. But long before there was an empty manger, a full inn, two weary travelers in a sleepy little town called Bethlehem, we find the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth is the prequel to the story of our Savior's birth. And in it, we're going to learn something very important about us. Every time you read Scripture, I am convinced you're in it. I've got a woman in my church who's an author. She's written over 20 novels. And, and she has been very successful in her authorship of these novels. They're Christian fiction. But what's interesting about Beth White, or uh, well, we call her Beth, Beth White, is that she will often include members of our church as characters in her stories, which guarantees sales at the church. <laughs> You're in this story. So you need to pay attention. You need to read this word. You know the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ, but the prequel opens... This story that takes place before the story that is the ultimate story. And it shows us in greater depth the fullness of God's plan. And how God works. And how God moves. This applies to us. Like any good prequel, it fills in the blanks. It makes the story richer and fuller. Now you know the significance of the birth of Christ. But now we begin to see a story, and it's an amazing story. It's a love story. Two very unlikely people, chance meeting, sparks fly, hearts melt, history changes. Movies are such a part of the American culture. You know, um, whether it's Beauty and the Beast, uh, or the story of a failed nun and a captain who fall in love in the sound of music, or a cowboy and a classy nurse in the movie Open Range, we all love Love stories. Ruth is an unlikely woman because she is a Moabitess. She's from the country of Moab. If you know anything of the history of Moab, it's really twisted and sordid. And they were enemies of Israel. As a matter of fact, they were forbidden from entering the holy place, the temple area, for ten generations, which effectively means no one of Moabite descent would ever be welcome there. Look at Ruth 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Do you know what the theme was of the days of judge, the judges? It's mentioned twice, at the beginning and toward the end of the book of Judges. The theme of the book of Judges is every man did what was right in his own eyes. If that describes America, I, I, if it doesn't describe America, I don't know what does. 
that everyone is a judge unto themselves. Everyone is a, is, is a founder unto themselves. Everyone is an expert unto themselves. Everyone has an opinion about everybody else's opinions. That We choose our own path. Everyone goes their own way. Let your heart lead you. You have your truth. I have my truth. That is America. And that was Israel during the time of the judges. Elimelech was the man's name. His wife's name was Naomi. He's in a crisis. It's a food crisis. Now, here's the irony. Bethlehem means the house of bread. It was the breadbasket of all of Israel. And he moved his family into a place God had forbidden them from going. He died in Moab. And his sons both married, and both of these young men died childless. Now, most scholars agree this probably indicates that this was a This was a sign that they were not under the covenant blessing of God, that God uh, took his hand off of them or was delaying these blessings in their life because they were out of sort with him. They were childless. Now, there's three painful funerals in this story. And then who's left? Three women are left. Naomi, the, the mother. By the way, Naomi's name in Hebrew means sweet. But she now calls herself Mara. She said, do not call me sweet. Call me bitter. This is a story of grief and suffering and devastating loss. Yet in this story, there is a profound hope, redemption, and longing satisfied. Let me ask you, since I said you're in this story, where are you in your story? Everybody's somewhere. Are you coming out of a tragedy in your life? Are you going, are fearful that you might go into a, a, a tragedy? I love the testimony that was shared a moment ago about fear. Becca said powerfully that God has delivered her from many fears. She didn't say all fears, but from giving her a power in the midst of being afraid. So is it fear? I'm convinced it's fear that drove this family into disobedience with God. It is fear that made them think we can, we can find another, instead of trusting God in the midst of this trial, we, we can find it on our own. So what is your story? I want you to see three things from this passage that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at the whole book of Ruth. And we're, we're not going to be here forever, just trust me in this. We're going to move fast. But there's three things I want you to see. I want you to see the longing for God in this passage. I want you to see the working of God in this passage. And then I want you to see the redeeming by God in this passage. The longing for God. The longing of the human soul is a longing for ultimate worth. It is to find your true value in this world. The longing is a sense of it. It has an eternal nature to it. It's something that cannot spoil or fade. And if your longing is after something that you can lose, if your longing is after something that rusts away, then your longing is placed in something not worthy of your longing. Your soul was meant for greater things. But sin has misdirected our longings. At once our longing was for God and God alone. But now we seek longing in the creation or the creature. Kierkegaard said the human heart tires to build itself around something other than God, something to give it a sense of worth. What is your longing? Is it for praise? Is it for acceptance, identity? Maybe it's for family, which makes the holidays such a wonderful time and such a difficult time for so many. Is it for approval? Is it for success? Is there some noble cause you think maybe is out there waiting for you to lead? 
All of those things together are good things. They're not evil things. They're not bad things, but listen to me. They're like BBs bouncing around in a boxcar of your soul compared to what God wants to do, fulfilling your longing. It was even G.K. Chesterton who said, a man knocking at the door of a brothel is knocking for God. That ultimately, even in our most base assumptions, our most base seeking after something to satisfy the human soul, that ultimately, even in those base moments, we are seeking after God. Everyone is longing for what only God can give. That's why the Christmas carol is so beautiful. Oh, holy night, the stars were brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. There's a great word. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Do you realize that we have been pining for centuries and eons and for years for what our soul was shaped for? And it all came at Advent. It all came when Christ appeared. The soul felt its worth. Ruth had a deep longing in her soul. She's not just your average Moabite girl. When Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem, she urges her two daughters-in-law, now widows themselves, to stay. And she had good practical reasons for that. Ruth 1, look at verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Now, what's really at play here is something a lot of people are not even aware of. But in the Jewish culture, it probably was even true in the Moabite culture, but it's, it's written in Scripture that when someone suffers the tragic loss of a husband, who is the sole provider for the family in this culture, who is the sole landowner in his name, that, that that woman then comes into great peril and danger. But her his family is now responsible to provide a, if she has no offspring, responsible for provide a family member, a near kinsman, sometimes often a brother, who would supply the seed that would allow the child to be born. That child would not be his. It would be considered his dead brother's child so that the inheritance could be handed down. It's called the law of the Leverite marriage. That's what is at play here. It is to provide for children to the, the widow who had no children, so that she would have, that was their social security program. But none existed. And, and here's, here's Naomi saying, I'm too old. I will not produce a child who will fulfill your, the responsibility of giving you children someday. And finally, one of the daughters-in-law got it. Her name was Orpha. And she kissed her and she wept and she went back to her Moabite family. But Ruth didn't. Look at verse 15. Look, said Naomi, this is to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her God. You go back with her. Now, this is where the first insight into Ruth is exposed in this story. Otherwise, she's just a name. But all of a sudden, we see something different about this woman. We see something different about this Moabitess who is married into a family of faith. Look at this. Ruth displays an uncommon longing. 
And it's not for family. It's not for friendship. It's not for some meaning. Listen to what she says in verse 16. She reveals it herself. Then, But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For you, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Hey, there's the longing. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if ever death separates you from me. The next verse says that Naomi is stunned in silence. She doesn't say another word. She said, then, come on. In verse 20, it says that Ruth said, call. When Ruth got back to Bethlehem, she said to her friends there, her family there, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Naomi says something and reveals something about herself. She says, I left full, but I've returned empty. And the scripture then says it was in the barley harvest. Now you hear these details and you wonder, why does the Bible include these things? There's always a reason. Always a reason. Long before a pregnant virgin with her betrothed husband arrived many years and decades and hundreds of years later. Of this same family line, this lineage of a king, of kings who would come, they are facing a crisis. They are sleeping in a barn in a world that has no room for them. Before they ever got there, Ruth and Naomi were traveling back to Bethlehem, grieving, searching, hoping, and longing. Can I ask you something? What is the longing of your heart? See, honestly, it's for companionship. It's to have someone in my life. It's for meaning. It's for help. It's for relief. What is the longing of your heart? Because I want to tell you, those things are not bad, but hear me. There's something more that your soul is longing for. My wife Kathy and I have a unique story. She was married to a man named Rick Ferguson. Rick Ferguson was a pastor of the Riverside Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. They had an amazing life and ministry. They had amazing children, two boys and a daughter. Uh, their, middle da- their oldest son was in college. Their middle daughter was getting ready to go to college. When a tragedy struck their life on a family vacation, Rick was killed in a car accident on Interstate 70 going across Kansas back to Missouri for vacation with other family members. That was almost 20 years ago. 14 years ago, my wife Tammy and I had just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. We have three children, two boys. The middle one was going off to college. We had a 13-year-old daughter that was with Tammy and they were going for an audition for a cello professor at Southern Miss University where my, my daughter was hoping to get a teacher that could help her advance in playing the cello. Halfway between Mobile and Hattiesburg, Mississippi, a truck was left in the middle of the highway. Tammy did not see it. She slammed in the back of it and died. So both Kathy and I have a unique experience with grief and suffering and longing. Longing is that kind of thing that hides out in your soul. You don't think about it. Sometimes it's the reason you groan. Sometimes it's the reason you sigh. But it's there. It's there. And and our experience with grief and suffering, not unlike Naomi, led us on a journey to try to find God in the midst of all of this. And to be truthful with you, there's times we didn't want to find God. 
There are times we were offended by God. There are times we were hurt by God's plan and God's will. For me, the 23rd Psalm became very impactful, especially verse 5 that says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I'll never forget when I read that verse hours or days after Tammy died, I asked the Lord, how long is this going to take? <laughs> Just a practical question. I want to know how long this is going to take because it's terrifying to stand at the gaping dark entrance of the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that death is. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I got nothing. Kind of ticked me off. I'm your man. I'm your guy, the local rep here in Mobile, Alabama. Give me a break. I'm going through a lot. I got a lot on me. I got, I'm now having to be a mother to a 13-year-old daughter and two sons off in college. What am I, I going to do? Which, by the way, I tried being a mom for my kids. 15 seconds later, I had a nervous breakdown. So I'm just going to tell you. You cannot do it, man. Don't even try. But the reality is, I got nothing from the Lord. Grudgingly, I trusted Him. And can I tell you that the Word of God, Psalms 23, verse 5, is so true. It's such a promise. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. His presence was so powerful, even though silent, was so powerful in my life that God helped me continuously recognize His presence to the point that the day came where I said, Lord, I could live here forever because you are with me. And I discovered the secret, a powerful secret about grief and suffering that Naomi is going to find in a very different way. So what's the longing of your heart? Can I tell you, I think ultimately that longing is for God. Now that may surprise you. But quickly, I want us to look at the working of God. Because in the midst of every trial and circumstances that we face, I am convinced by the Word of God, and this story in particular, this prequel story to the nativity, look at chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to see that there is a longing for God, but there is a working of God in the midst of that longing. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's side, a, a man of standing. I love the way the Scripture says that. From the clan of Elimelech, that was her husband whose name was Boaz. I wonder what Boaz looked like. You, you kind of see him as a big old boy. He's a, he's, a, he's a hunter, a fisherman. He's a farmer. I mean, he's, he's probably got a couple of guns on him. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's older. Most scholars believe he's probably older than Ruth. But his name, listen to this, his name in Hebrew means quickness. Quickness. There's another way to see his name, and it means a pillar in the temple. So he's a man of standing, which means he was a man of respect in the community, but he was single. He was probably older as a bachelor, but he was also quick on his feet. Uh, look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let's go out to the fields. Let me go out into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who, in whose eyes I found favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Now you've got to understand something about the, the, the system of the time. Farmers were commanded by God in Scripture to leave the corners of their fields unharvested so that the poor could come in and harvest the field and produce food for themselves. It's an absolutely brilliant plan. And so when they get to town, Ruth says, I can do this. Naomi, maybe you're too old. Maybe she's infirm. Maybe she's too tired. She's too grieving. But she goes, I'm going to go out and start bringing in the barley. She said, go do it. 
So let me ask you something. What are the chances that the first barley field Ruth shows up at happens to be owned by a near kinsman, this man named Boaz? Well, the chances are probably a billion to one. But can I tell you something about chances? Don't rely on them. Rely on God. God is in this story, and he's in your story, too. God does things that amazes people. I think, and just imagine, just imagine what God is doing in this church that you don't see. Can I tell you, it often comes thinly disguised as a problem. And you think people are problems. No, no, no. It's thinly disguised as a problem or a difficulty or an impossibility or something that we cannot overcome. There is nothing other than a providential hand of God at work. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. Boaz meets her and he replies to her, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband, and you have left your father and mother in your homeland, and you've come to live with the people that you did not know before. So immediately you have Boaz's admiration for her. Verse 12, he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. He's blessing her now. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh my goodness, what, what a picture of someone coming to faith, someone who's coming to the Lord for, for refuge. He's our refuge and strength, the very present help in times of trouble, Psalms 46.1. Ruth was willing to work in the harvest, and this is such an important point. Every child of God, born again, is called to the harvest. God has called us to bring in the bread of life, to bring it to other people, to give it away. And so here's this amazing young woman called into the harvest. And Boaz is, uh, is, is seeing this. And the reason I'm telling you these things is because the overarching theme of this second point is that God is providentially moving. You may be in a situation where you're thinking, I'd like to get married someday, but it's almost an impossibility at this point. Friend, I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who loves the challenge of impossibility. I'm not trying to give you a false hope. I'm just telling you, trust in the Lord. Ruth was willing to work in the harvest, and that became her first priority. This implies the nature of their romance that they would share because guess what? Boaz was all about the harvest. It was his income. It was his life. It was the bread of life, and he knew this. So they met each other in the process of doing what both of them had a longing and a heart to do. When Kathy was single, people would ask her, do you think you'll ever get remarried? And I loved her answer. She said, well, she loves baseball and she loves softball, and she's played softball almost all of her life. And she said, well, if I'm ever running for a pop fly ball and I happen to run into somebody chasing the same ball, I guess I would know at that point that that's who, what God wanted me to marry. Turns out we met because both of us were chasing the same fly ball, and his name is Jesus. So in chapter 3, relationship progresses. Uh, she, there, there's a whole thing here culturally I don't have time to go into, but the harvest is in, they're celebrating the harvest, and, and as it was, the owner would sleep out in the fields where the harvesting area was, at night because they had been eating and they had a few things to drink and everybody's laying around and they decide to just sleep outdoors. And, and there's a custom of Ruth going in and laying down at his feet, which was an indication to him that she was willing to have, have, have a, a serious biblical relationship with him. Verse, 
chapter 3, verse 9 says, he wakes up and says, who are you? And she said, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer of my family. This was Ruth just saying, here I am, and I think I see God working in our relationship. This was a form of her saying, I'm willing to be willing. I'm willing if you're willing. You see, I don't know how that happens in your life. I don't know how that happened in your romance. Uh, I know how it happened in ours, so I'm not going to go into it, but I'm just going to tell you this. God's moving. He's moving in the circumstances of your life. Look at chapter 3, verse 18, and Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Let me give you the background on this. What happened was there was a nearer kinsman redeemer. There was a nearer kin who had the first right of refusal on whether or not to redeem Ruth. Now, there was a lot of things involved in this. One of the things was he could redeem the land that Ruth would have been bequeathed to her. So he wanted the land. So what Boaz does is he's already researched all this. His heart's already been captured by this beautiful Moabite woman. And so he runs quickly to the city gates. That's where all the administrative work was done. That's where the courthouse was, so to speak. He gets a bunch of people out there as witnesses. He waits for this guy to come whistling by. He stops him. He says, hey, cuz, how's it going? He said, it's good. How you doing, Boaz? He said, I'm doing great. Have you seen Ruth? I heard about Ruth. He said, well, you know what? I was looking in our genealogical books. It turns out you're a nearer kinsman than I am. Would you like to redeem her? He's thinking land. He's going, yeah, I'd like to pick up some more farmland. I could then harvest some more crops. And he says, but you got to marry her in the process. He goes, oops, that would get me in trouble with my wife. I'm not really interested in that. And they strike a deal. Now, this is really important. L listen to what it says in verse 4 of chapter 3. He said, I, I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then do so. But if not, tell me, and I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line, and I will redeem it. He said, Boaz is very sly at this point. And then what happens is he said, you can have that right. They exchanged sandals with each other. It's a crazy thing in that culture. But look at chapter 4, verse 5. Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabites. That's where he's telling him. Now, quickly, move on down to verse 11 of chapter 4, because you need to know this. Don't you know that Boaz spent a lot of time planning this encounter? Really, it's an encounter that's very beautiful, because it's a picture of two redeemers squaring off. It's a picture of a redeemer who has the first right to redeem her, but he refuses it because he doesn't want to, compared to a redeemer who wants to. Can I ask you something? Who's your redeemer? Can I tell you about him? He wants you. He's not just interested in something you've got. So do not assume that you've got something to bring to him before he loves you. You, you, you come to him on his terms. He loved you before the foundations of the earth. The Bible says he loved you before he ever knew you in the sense that before you were born. He loved you with an everlasting love, the Bible says. And so it's a beautiful picture of a redeemer who's not fit to redeem you. Maybe it's a redeemer you've been looking for. You've been looking for your job to redeem you, your career to redeem you, your body to redeem you, your shape to redeem you, your attractiveness, the people laughing at your jokes, and somehow people, somehow this is going to redeem me and make me feel this sense that I matter. My goodness, my helping in the community is going to redeem me. No, my friend, those are 
unwilling redeemers. There's only one redeemer who was willing to go all the way to the cross because that was the price that this man wasn't willing to pay. Nobody loves you like Jesus. Nobody paid the price to redeem you like Jesus. Verse 11 of chapter 4, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. These are the patriarchs. These are the female patriarchs of the nation. And together build up the family of Israel. They saw the national implications of this romance between a Moabite woman and a Hebrew male. May you have standing in Ephrathah and, and be famous in Bethlehem. They had no idea what they were saying. They're prophetic. Bethlehem would become the most famous place on the face of the earth because that is where our dear Savior would be born. And through the offspring, through the offspring, this is so important, the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. You know, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Friend, do you know the forgiveness of your sins? Did you know that God's ultimate purpose in this prequel story of this romantic encounter in the midst of tragedy and starvation, that God was in the process of bringing His Savior into the world? Here's the third thing. This is the redeeming by God. Look at verse, four, verse 13 of, of Ruth chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The impact of this surprising story is profound. Verse 14 of chapter 4 says, The woman Naomi said, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left me without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Mara was Naomi again. Bitter was sweet again. And Israel was being restored. Let me ask you something. What are you bitter about? The Bible says in Hebrews 15, 12, 15, that there's a root of bitterness that you need to be afraid of because it is poisonous. It's something done to you, something that you had no control over, something you deeply regret, something that has dogged you all of your life. It's made you bitter toward a person. It's locked them up in a prison, and you're the guard of that prison. The Bible says God wants you to be set free. You say, well, if, I'm, if I give up my bitterness or my anger, then that person gets away with what they did. Friend, they got away with what they did until they stand before a holy God. Bitterness is something that's eating you alive. And God wants you to be set free. And he sets Naomi free from her bitterness. Her bitterness was toward God for taking her husband and her sons. But now she's seeing God's plan. Verse 15 and he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Maybe your bitterness is that you had an expectation of God that he was going to play your life out in a certain way and all of a sudden God has turned the tables on you and you're looking at him going, what, I thought I was right with you. What, what is this all about? I'm here to tell you. You need to surrender your bitterness to God. You need to say, Lord, I trust in you. Ruth 4.16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. 
the woman living there, the women living there in Bethlehem said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Come on. Who was the father of David, who is the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what do we do in light of this truth? Boaz and Ruth discovered God was leading them through their painful circumstances to his perfect plan. Have you discovered that? For some, that is the message for you today, that God is in the midst of your painful circumstances. But I don't think God had anything to do with my painful circumstances. Friend, he is sovereign. When my wife died, a student asked me this question, did did your view of God's sovereignty and providence help you or hurt you when your wife died? I said, yes. It utterly devastated me that he would let me hurt so bad. And yet it utterly comforted me that he was in control. Your circumstances are not in control of your life unless you let them be. God is in control. Mary and Joseph discovered God bringing them to a place of deliverance. Not just to deliver a baby, but to deliver the world from the power of sin and death. Salvation is for anyone who will trust in their son. God used these two peasants from a line of kings going all the way back to Boaz and Ruth, Obed and Jesse and David, and God used his entire royal line for the purpose of bringing him glory to bring the Savior into the world. And God is moving in your life and your story today. Matter of fact, he's brought you to a point of decision. If you're like Naomi, maybe you need to lay down your bitterness today and say, Lord, this is a bitter pill that I have. I don't like it. I don't know who I'm blaming for it. Maybe you do. But today I surrender it to you, the God of love. And I ask you to transform my bitter life. Or maybe you're like Ruth today. God's called you to labor in the harvest. He's called you, no matter what your desires or your longings are, to say, I need to be a part of a church and a work that reaches people with the gospel of Jesus Christ to give the hope of the nations. And by the way, when you're chasing that ball in the outfield, somebody else chasing the same ball may run into you. That may be the very person God has for you. Or maybe you're like Mary and you've opened your heart when the angel came to her and said, you will conceive a child born and birth, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she said, be it unto me as you have said. Today is the day of salvation for you, like Mary, to simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Take my life and use it for your glory. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how powerful this prequel is and how it all weaves together by the ingenious mind and heart of a sovereign, providential God. We stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of what you have done and what you are doing. Lord, we give you praise. And so, Lord, at this moment, every one of us has a decision to make. Every one of us has a, a word that you have spoken by your Holy Spirit to our hearts. And Lord, help us to respond in a way that glorifies you and praises you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.